I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align podcast. That is to say, we don't have a vivid sensation of belonging to our environment in the same way that we have a vivid sensation of a sensation of being an ego inside a bag of skin located mostly in the skull about halfway between the ears and a little way behind the eyes and it issues in these disastrous results of the ego which according to 19th century common sense feels that it is a fluke in nature and that if it does not fight nature it will not be able to maintain its status as intelligent fluke. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Line Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. In today's beautiful episode, I got to have my friend, Dr. Jack Cruz, on the show. Um, Jack, I'm sure you guys are familiar with him. If you're not, he is a neurosurgeon. He is the CEO of Optimized Life. He's the writer of um, a cool book called Epi Paleo RX, Prescription for Disease Reversal and Optimal Health. Um, he's got an amazing story that we start to get into in this podcast and uh, in the episode we get into the effects of uh, magnetism and light and water and some of these factors in our environment that we don't necessarily pay attention to because they're invisible and uh, we break down all these subtle components of uh, what's what really may be governing our health. And you have to remember, what does the word surgeon mean? It means to teach and to heal with your hands. Mm. So technically, I look at a rolfer the same way. The only difference is, is that you're using your hands, your electric and magnetic fields that you have. I'm using scalpel blades, but I, because I use touch as well, I actually i am also using some of the things that you do. Uh, thank you so much for tuning into the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you will find hundreds of videos on self-care and functional movement. Uh, you'll find the self-care kit on there. And uh, as well, be sure to utilize the Amazon affiliate link. Please and thank you. On the right-hand sidebar of the podcast and blog page, you will see a link to Amazon. Um, anytime you purchase some crap on Amazon, uh, Line Podcast Foundation gets about 7% of that as well. I have a library on there, links to Amazon of uh, various books that I pulled off my bookshelf and um, put them up there for references for y'all to check out. Um, quote that I have for today's podcast is from Mr. John Muir, and it goes like this. When we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. Ain't that the truth? I feel like as I get into the intricacies of anything, I find it to be metaphoric for everything else. And um, I think that's 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 the case in, in everything that I have experienced with so far. Um, thanks so much for reviews on iTunes. Greatly appreciated. Uh, if you guys are appreciating this, great way to show your uh, your appreciation is through that. I read them, I love them, and it uh, means a lot to me to get to see that you guys really care. Um, I think that might be 
sufficient. I talked with, uh, hung out with sketchy Andy, who's the, he's the world, I think he has the world record for longest highline record. Uh, highline being strapping webbing in between two cliffs and walking across. I don't know how long it was exactly, but pretty freaking huge. He was here in uh, in LA for the last couple days, so we've been slacklining together and kicking it. It's been pretty cool getting to, getting to see him. Other recent wacky updates of things I've been tinkering with. Kundalini yoga, started doing that this week, and uh, the plan is to do it every day for the next month or so. We'll see how that goes. That's been pretty pretty awesome, I, I'd recommend that. And uh, did a sound healing ceremony thing recently, which is pretty cool. Um, using various different resonances or frequencies from various different instruments to make your body work a little bit more fantastic. Um, that was fun. Good times. Uh, worth checking out. How your environment, what's your environment sound like? Can you start paying attention to that? Homework for the week. What the heck kind of sounds do you have in your world? Could you make them be a little bit more conducive for the results that you want in your biology? Whatever that may be. All right. Uh, here we go. Back to the show with Dr. Jack Caruso. Align Podcast. My main curiosity with you is some of those environmental factors that some of us, we don't realize that we're compromising ourselves throughout the day. And, you know, because it's these invisible factors that we don't necessarily see, you know, so some of the things like water, like light, you get into magnetism and, you know, magnetic fields of the earth and such. I appreciate that a lot. <laughs> Thanks for, for putting that out there. Could we kind of break into some of the most relevant things for you that, that helped with changing well, the your, most your body? The, the most relevant thing that you just mentioned, something visceral kind of hit me when you said that, you know, when you say environment and when I say environment, we mean two totally different things. And um, you actually made the comment about, well, the things that we don't see. And here's the funny thing. The things that our five senses deal with really aren't the most important thing. In fact, since you told me that you're into Rolfing, I would tell you in order to get the maximum benefit of any of that body therapy, yeah. the number one thing that you have to get right is your connection with nature. Why? Because the number one sense in our body uh, is actually how your mitochondria pays attention to the environment, meaning nature. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if somebody is connected, well, I should say, this is a better way of putting it, disconnected from nature based on our mammalian biology. I don't care what you do in that studio. I don't care what they learn on my blog. I don't care what I teach them. Nothing will ever fundamentally get corrected because you have to understand the cornerstones or the foundations of exactly how uh, mammalian biology works. And that's what makes me a little bit different than most of the other people that you'll probably have on your podcast because the way I look at Life and health is a little bit different than other people. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, so one of the things. So right now, I've you know it's like winter-ish or fall or whatever. I live in Bend, Oregon, and um, I have the tendency of walking around barefoot pretty much all the time, unless it's like you know wet or snowy or out or, or whatever. And um, it's not something I really brag about. I'm only talking. I've never actually mentioned it. I'm only saying it to you because that's the direction I want to go with it. The the relevance of connecting into the ground. 
You know, it's one of those things that it's not just for dirty hippies. I think there's actually a lot of relevance there that we we kind of like poo poo it almost. You know, can we maybe well, get into what that is? Yeah, we poo poo it because the the irony is we don't understand it. You know how any anything is, Aaron. If you don't understand something, it becomes very easy because of our cognitive biases yeah. to kind of sidetrack it. Well, most people know grounding by earthing, you know, synonymously, but what I teach my members is something called the inverse hall magnetic spin effect because that's actually the physics behind earthing or grounding. Hmm. And don't worry, we're not going to go into that here, but I can explain it to you very simply um, where anybody who listens to this can go on a YouTube video and understand it. The sun is a cathode ray. All the planets are anodes. Anytime a cathode ray hits an anode, it releases free electrons from the surface. So you're designed on your feet and on your hands. You have an amazing amount of sweat glands present. And the reason why humans have that specifically is they're designed to be connected with the uh, the earth pretty much how we go. So the, the way I tell people to go about this is um, think about the Sphinx that's in the desert um, in Egypt. All four of its extremities are connected to the ground and it looks to the east every morning. Right. And that's the kind of connection that we have to try to maintain in order to improve things. And when you want to bring it to where health really comes, it, it becomes even more simple. The, what I teach my, my folks is that the input to mitochondria, which is what most people call the, the battery or the powerhouse of the cell, um, I look at mitochondria very, very differently. They're really, it's a quantum nano turbine that creates energy flux in not only our cells, but tissues. But the input is called electron chain transport. It has nothing to do with carbohydrates, fats, and proteins like you hear from the solution-based biochemist or the solution-based you know, microbiome genuses that are out there. Um, it's actually a solid state organ, uh, organ, meaning that it works just like a semiconductor um, does in any kind of technology device. And we're designed to move electrons across it. So when you understand that grounding gives you free electrons without having to eat anything, hmm. the more of that you do, that means the less food you need. Conversely, the same thing is true with the sun. The more photons or photoelectric effect that you can assimilate through your tissues, the less reliance that you have on food. Yeah. So like when you talk to somebody about the microbiome or things like that, they want to get into all this esoteric science, but they never really get to the fundamentals of really why it fundamentally works. And, and when you have great energy flux through your mitochondria, almost all things that all of us do become optimized. And to me, that's the core foundation principle of health and wellness. And I don't think too many people spend enough time, A, talking about it, and B, really understanding those foundations. And like you said, grounding and earthing is one of those simple things we could all do yeah. that doesn't really require us to do too much. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, so with the, with the environmental issues, I mean, that's like, if you look at it from a movement perspective, if you're walking around with a valgus knee or a pronated foot, every time you take that step, you're putting stress on your knee, you're putting stress in your foot, you're putting stress through the whole body. You know, and it's, it's life becomes detrimental almost, just your movement actually hurts you. And that's what we're doing in our environment, you know, as we're walking around being surrounded by, you know, what I don't even like to talk about EMF again because of the judgment, <laughs> you know, but the water that we're drinking or the EMFs. And is there some other things that we could get into that maybe people aren't necessarily noticing so much EMF, water, any of that stuff that you find relevant? Well, I mean, all of that stuff's relevant, but, but, you know, to what we're talking about now, one of the things you just mentioned, you know, when someone has, um, say an abnormal gait because of a knee issue or a hip problem, yeah. one of the things that I, I think a lot of people in the movement community don't spend a lot of time talking about is that that becomes much more likely when you have too many protons and not enough electrons within tissues. So for example, when we talk about knock knee, uh, like you said, the valgus deformity, you know, for the people who know that and the people who don't know that, um, it's been shown, uh, especially in eukaryotes, that when they have a paucity of electron density in tissues, and, and how does that stand up in eukaryotic cells since we're all eukaryotes? Actually, it's usually from a deficit of DHA within the cell membrane. And DHA, most people know, is fish oil, but fish oil has been shown to physically change the size and shape of structures within our body. So, for example, if you happen to be a mammal that lives in a place where you cannot get enough DHA to meet your environmental turnover. So, for example, to give somebody a hardcore example, think of a trader on the floor of the Chicago Board uh, Mercantile Exchange who's around 19 blue-lit um, screens all day never goes outside indoor existence, um, and then happens to go to, say, dinner with his girlfriend one night, stands up and tears a knee meniscus, and then starts to walk up normally. Then the knee problem turns into a foot problem, then to a hip problem, and then maybe to a back problem. They have to come to a guy like me to get an MRI. How did it really all start? Actually, the answer is it started from the blue light exposure and the non-negative EMF on the floor of the exchange. And the problem is none of the people that that person will see as a clinician, a coach, you know, an advice giver will ever link it back to that because most people don't know that both non-native EMF and blue light cause a change in our mitochondria that slows electron chain transport. And moreover, blue light and non-native EMF destroy DHA on our cell membranes. And that's fundamentally what changed the guy's knee meniscus in his knee? And mm. and to me, that's really important because even if you brought him to your studio and did all these different maneuvers on him, are you really going to be able to solve his problem unless you get to that core issue of putting or getting electrons back into his body in order for him to uh, change the size and shape uh, of the tissues there so he can take full effect? Of either getting sunlight or getting grounding. Those those are the kind of things that I like to talk about. I think, you know, guys who do what you do, you, you're making a big assumption that the uh, the entire organism, no matter who comes to you, 
has got, you know, basically the same amount of electrons and protons in their body. Hmm. And I never make that assumption because I'm, I'm seeing people on the opposite side who uh, more often than not, when they come to see me as a neurosurgeon, they have some type of deficit related to this. And it's my job to figure out, you know, utilizing their MRIs, their history, their demographics uh, and their labs to figure out exactly where the deficit is so that we can come up with a plan to maybe help them, you know, remedy those environmental issues that they may not be aware of, but that their mitochondria sense. And that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. So would it be fair to look at the, the light spectrum that we receive almost as like, like nutrition and you want to receive a full spectrum of your macro and micronutrients and such. And same thing with like purple light to blue light to red light. Is that, is that a thing or is that not making any yeah, sense? No, it's, it's a, it's a great thing. And one of the things that you said, again, you're giving me a lot of good visceral responses because no one on my site thinks of food the way food gurus and, and nutritionists think about. We yeah. think about food as light, and I'll, I'll explain to you why. The entire process uh, of the food webs on, on this planet are based on photosynthesis. Photosynthesis is a 30 to 39 step process that occurs in a leaf, hydrated chlorophyll with, with a, uh, a quasi particle called an exciton. You tell me the last time you've heard any food guru or nutritionist talk to you about excitons and photosynthesis because guess what when i think about food all food is light exactly. and the problem that we have is that we don't think about it like that and we don't talk about it like that when we're sitting down with our patients you know with the people who are listening to us on our podcast and that's really important and without photosynthesis, you know, you, you do need a little history lesson when you talk to people and explain to them that photosynthesis showed up on this planet 50 million years before the Cambrian explosion when all complex life showed up. And without that process, there would be no food webs. Hmm. So when you understand that the food story really is a light story buried in, I hate to say it, a lifetime of beliefs that we've gotten from our poor education, um, that's the truth. And that's the reason why I, I truly, uh, you know, it's almost embarrassing to say this, but I have a disdain um, for nutritionists, dietitians, and uh, biochemists that focus in on the carbohydrate, fat, and protein side of the food story because I think it leaves the largest part of the story off the table. Mm. Yeah. And so with eating food, you know, it kind of like being an ingestion of light, that's like things that I don't really know about, the chlorophyll and, you know, the, the, the plants being able to pull in that light. It's, it's kind of like we're eating little batteries of sorts. We're, we're taking in the remnants of the light. Is that kind of kind of right? You are. And, you know, I know you've done some podcasts with people that talked about the microbiome. The interesting sure. thing um, about that is one of the things that people don't understand. Microbiome is made out of bacteria. Where are eukaryotes? We're, we come from a different kingdom. One of the interesting things, the differences between eukaryotes and prokaryotes, which is what bacteria are, bacteria release 5,000 times more light in a cell than we do. We're designed to retain that light. So when you think about the microbiome in your gut from that standpoint, it's designed to give a very specific light show 
to the cells inside your gut. And that light show, that information and data is actually what turns on and off the immune system in the gut. And when you hear all the, the new data out there about different species of bacteria, what you never hear from these microbiome experts is they never talk about the, the frequency differences of the light that these bacteria emit. And it turns out that on the enterocytes of our gut, that's where the DHA is loaded. And DHA has the ability to turn light into a DC electric current. And it turns out that that DC electric current is actually turns on the T regulator cells that sit in the gut associated lymphoid tissue that's right below the enterocytes. So when you think about all these terms that you hear from people about leaky gut and, right. and, and bad microbiomes and people who are obese have a simplified gut flora, are we really getting to the, the bottom of the story or not? And, and it turns out the answer is no. And why is this important to what we're talking about here? I want you to think about our cells very differently. Everybody focuses in on the nuclear genome that we get from mom and dad, you know, those chromosomes that are split in 23 and come us. But you know what people forget? There's another genome in our cells, and that genome is mitochondria. Mitochondria was stolen from a bacteria 600 million years ago. And Aaron, here's the other part of the story, but I don't know if you know this. You know where we got chloroplastlon that ran, run leaves and plants? Plants stole them from bacteria too. Hmm. So that means chloroplast and mitochondria are both bacteria. And that means that bacteria, as I told you before, release 5,000 times more light. So I want you to think about us. You know that we're warm-blooded mammals. Well, when I say warm, what does warm mean? It means infrared light. Hmm. Well, guess what? We release huge amounts of red light, and that red light has a very specific function in mitochondria. So when you have somebody on your rolfing table or when you take somebody out to the beach to do movements on what are you fundamentally doing? You don't realize this, but you're a light practitioner. Why? <laughs> because you are trying to get red light emission from their Q cycle in their mitochondria to shrink the respiratory protein so that you can improve electron train transport. But I know that's not what you tell them, but that's fundamentally what you're doing. Hmm. And, and that's the key. The key is everything in nature is tied together. Our job as clinicians, educators, and teachers from all our different various backgrounds is to connect those dots for people so that they can understand it. And, you know, some people, you know, their heads explodes when they talk to me, <laughs> when they read my blogs. And I mean, I do that by design because I want people to know these are things that I came upon after medical school. Uh, you know, I was not a quantum physicist and don't have a degree in physics, but I actually went back and taught myself because I realized that this was the giant big missing hole in my medical education and that the more of it I applied, uh, the better it, I did for myself. But the, the key thing for me is I saw my patients do much better. Yeah. And as a doctor, you know, that, especially as a surgeon, that really is my only care in the world. If I can help people utilizing this, it's big. And, and the interesting thing is to understand it, kind of like you and I are trying to do now, yeah, it can be tough. But the funny thing is for the 80-year-old lady that's in my practice, getting her to drink good water, getting her to go out in the sun, yeah. getting her to take off the shoes and maybe remove some of her clothes, none of that required us to talk about E equals MC squared or the inverse Hall magnetic spin effect. 
I don't have to do that with them. They just they just want to know how to get better. And I tell them, this is the first step. These are the things I need you to do. And generally when they start to get better, that's when they start going, Doc, can you explain to me why you're asking me to take all my clothes off You know, at specific times in the morning? Because I kind of would like to know. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I'm going to stop doing it, but I'm feeling better. And my family thinks I'm nuts, but this is great that I don't have to have spine surgery if I continue to do this. And that's kind of how the, uh, the discussion usually starts in the clinic. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting out of our natural rhythm with, you know, with the earth, with nature, with, you know, with, with, with all of it. And it's, again, it can, you could reference it back to the same movement analogy where you're outside of that rhythm of your body, your movement creates friction, you know? And one of the things that I think that's interesting that we do is we are, we have this phobia against light. So we cover ourselves in this UV blocking sunblock and then we cover our eyes with these, you know, $200 polarized glasses. And we're literally shielding ourselves from this thing that's actually feeding us, <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, how did yeah. that happen? <laughs> you know? Well, the funny thing is, the more of that you do, the more food you have to eat to make up the deficit. Right. That really, that's as simple huh. as I could make my leptin prescription. You know that I put on the internet, you know, six years ago. It's really that simple. Um, the key thing is that we we need to understand how that connection to our environment truly is made through cells. And I hate to say this, but fundamentally, the reason why we have these poor beliefs. Part of me believes, A, we're ignorant of biophysics, but the other bad part that I really believe now, and I didn't believe this 10 or 12 years ago, but I actually believe there is an organized effort within healthcare to keep people dumbed down. Hmm. And the reason why is the paradigm that we operate in really is fundamentally based more on beliefs than action uh, and then, then ultimate truths. And when you stay away from those natural things, you tend to go visit healthcare practitioners much more. And that sets up, you know, business opportunities. We see, I mean, we say the same thing now with either function medical doctors. We see it with supplement sellers. We see it, see it across the board. And I, I fundamentally um, have been changed kind of as a surgeon because what I believed 10 to 12 years ago in terms of how I would treat certain things have radically changed in that time frame because of what I've learned. Yeah. And, you know, other practitioners, for example, you know, if I would have talked to you 10 or 12 years ago, I would have thought you were an absolute quack by, you know, doing <laughs> rolfing. Right. And when I became educated about it and understood the physics behind it, I was like, hey, hey you know what? Uh, this is something that I can incorporate into my practice for these, this patient, that patient, and that patient. And it's really, it's actually a pleasure to see that there's a lot of people out there doing body healing. They may not understand the science of what they're doing, but ultimately that's not as important when you realize that you're helping people. Yeah. And unfortunately, I was such an arrogant bastard 10 to 12 years ago because of my training. My training and my beliefs is what blinded me hmm. you know, to these things. So these days, I have great relationships with you know, chiropractors, massage therapists, rolfers, Reiki specialists. Um, and it's because of what, you know, this biophysics connection has taught me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I hear you referencing Einstein a lot. One of the things that I, yeah, I love about him is his focus on imagination being what he says more important than knowledge because knowledge is you're stuck. 
you know, when you have the old literature, it's like, okay, that's it. We're, we're, we stop. Whereas imagination, the roof comes open, you know, and I think that's the well, big issue. Imagination also opens the door for us to like, one of the things I'll share this with you, Aaron, I don't, I don't know if you um, do like gratitude things and, sure. and you have like certain rituals, but one of the things that I do at the end of the year, since we're coming up to the end of the year and this, we're doing this right before Thanksgiving, I always write a blog post that it has nothing to do with science at Thanksgiving, and I usually do it at Christmas. But the big thing that I do is on New Year's, I always write down the top 30 things that I that are what I call core and fundamental beliefs. Then I spend the whole month of January trying to tear those down. Hmm. Great. And That's the reason awesome. I do that is because I don't ever want to become static. Hmm. And the one thing that I've learned in this business is that the stronger I believe in something, the bigger harm that that can cause me because then I get too dogmatic. Yeah. And almost every year out of that 30 that I list, at least five or six, I find out something new and I go after it. In fact, um, I know that you're good friends with Ben Greenfield. I, I had just done a podcast with Ben. And uh, he asked me a question about MRI because, you know, neurosurgeons do a lot of MRI. And I told him, if you would ask me this three or four years ago, I would have told you that I think they're completely safe these days. Right. It's now an open question for me. I, I no longer can say equivocally. And it turns out, believe it or not, this was one of the things three or four years ago that I wrote down on my December 31st list that I needed to study. And I found out that what I really believed was a problem yeah i, I um it's, it's funny you have this this pretty amazing background with with neurosurgery that i feel like no one really ever talks to you about no they don't, they, they don't. i'm so that's freaking amazing like so you're you're cutting craniums open and working with brains that's that's what you do well you gotta remember how i started this uh, i i was an all-american football player and baseball player in college so i started out as a athlete. Nobody knew I was smart. Then I actually went to dental school and got a dental degree. And I also was an oral surgeon. And I went from oral surgery into medical school and then medical school into neurosurgery. Hmm. So I have a pretty diverse background in um, biology, medicine, and dentistry. In fact, I just got back from New York uh, State. I just talked to the New York State Dental Society about quantum dentistry and one of my former dental classmates you know asked me after 30 years hey man would you come and talk to us about this and here's the cool thing it's kind of like what you just said to me about neurosurgery nobody ever asked me to go back to the roots uh to talk about this and i have to tell you it was a lot of fun you know i even wrote a, a personalized blog post for them on my linkedin account and gave it to all the dentists and then i gave them uh, a two-part talk. We spent an hour and a half talking about the basics of biophysics, and then I spent the other hour and a half going after their core beliefs. Hmm. And I mean, really went after them hard. And several of them came up to me at the end of it and said, look, a lot of the stuff that you just told me challenged everything I believe. And I said, good, because that's my job. My, my job is to disturb you know, conformity or dogma with curiosity, yeah. because that's what changed me. And if I did that, I consider this trip up here a success. And I try to do the same thing 
for the members on my site, you know, the people that follow me on my Dr. Jack Cruz Facebook page or any blog post that I write. And when someone, you know, challenges me, says, look, I'd like to learn more about this. Sometimes I'll go home and start to research and write a blog post about it. I just did that not that long ago when one of my members came up with a cataract question. And it was truly an answer I didn't know. So I dug through it, and, and within two weeks, they had their answer. Yeah. And I felt good about it because they spurred me to learn about something that I knew that I could put together, but I had to apply myself. You know, knowledge alone is not good enough. We have to do. We have to apply. And that, you know, that ties right to your business. You are on the doer side of, of the healthcare paradigm. And that's important. We need to get people through the whole process, you know, from wisdom to knowledge, experience to actually physically doing because it's it's not really good to have wisdom and knowledge if you don't apply it. Yeah. Yeah. So in with 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 my practice, it's, I'm, I'm usually pretty generous with using my hands as kind of like a bridge to getting to connect with people, you know, and sharing what I do and seeing if I can help with their bodies and such. You don't, you don't really get to do that. <laughs> could you, could you kind well, of like paint a picture for what? True, Aaron. That's not true. Tell I'm me. <laughs> I will tell you that I actually do what you do. And in fact, I'll discuss this because you, as soon as you said what you just said, you made me think about something. Yeah. Rolfers, especially Rolfers, we have a really good one here here in New Orleans. When I have somebody who has a really low redox potential, for, for whatever reason, after I've examined, I basically tell my patients that Rolfers are experts. Basically, you want to look at a Rolfer, you want to look at their body, you want to make sure that they're electron dense, because what they're physically doing is they're using their hands to, to create an electric and magnetic field that they are going to transfer to your body. That's fundamentally their doing. And the physical process is basically an induction phenomenon that was introduced by Michael Faraday in 1831 called Faraday induction. Okay. Hmm. And it's not important to talk about the physics, but you said, I don't do what you do. Well, let me tell you something. Every time I do surgery, I did five cases today, Jeez. the day before Thanksgiving. I always make sure that I touch the site that I'm going to put the incision on. Every time I've done a craniotomy, meaning a brain surgery, for my entire career, I've done the same thing. Here's the irony. I never realized why I was compelled to do it yeah. until about 10 to 12 years ago. And what I realized, what I was doing, I was actually sending their fields in order to get an understanding of what I was likely to face once I opened their tissues up. And I'll be honest with you, I did not know that prior to about a decade ago. Now, because I do know it, no one in the operating room knows why I do it, but they all recognize that I do it. I usually do it after I mark out my incision and everything else. And I've told, you know, like my nurse practitioner, my nurses, my, my, my surgical team, they understand why I do it. And the thing is, I, it, it calms me down, but also I feel like my surgical plan is pretty good to go. And um, I honestly believe it actually is tied to that Faraday's law of induction, very similar to what you do. The difference is you're using different techniques than what I do. So 
most of the touching that I do is at surgery. And you have to remember, what does the word surgeon mean? It means to teach and to heal with your hands. Hmm. So technically, I look at a rolfer the same way. The only difference is, is that you're using your hands, your electric and magnetic fields that you have. I'm using scalpel blades, but I, because I use touch as well, I actually i am also using some of the things that you do. And I've told people, like when I did my TED Talk that was – so controversial they pulled it off the internet i told people that fundamentally what i do is i do brain surgery without a scalpel mm -hmm. and that's what a lot of the things that i talk about on my blog are about that's what makes me a little bit unique because what i do in surgery i'm using the scalpel to fix people that are really bad off but i think some of the more amazing things that i do is when i'm not using my scalpel Right. And teaching people about light, water, and magnetism yeah. um, to actually heal themselves, to me, that is far more of an accomplishment than it is to go in and do a fusion or take someone's brain tumor out. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful thing that you maintain that that human connection and that empathy as you're going into something like surgery, which can be perceived as being so barbaric, you know, well, and so it, maintaining it that. But, you know, the other thing I hate to say it is a surgeon's mentality, to be quite honest with you, 10 or 12 years ago, you probably would have hated my guts. You never would have talked to me. <laughs> Plus, you know, surgeons are surgeons are really the reason they're surgeons. They do their work when some their patients are asleep. They don't really want to interact with them. It's kind of like a car mechanic. Right. But the, one of the things that I can tell you that's changed about me over the last decade is I get so much joy out of sitting down in front of people and connecting with them, seeing their face, sensing their light, sensing their fields, um, like seeing the look on their face. Like today, when I saw one of my patients, actually right before I got on with you, I'm sitting here in the, the Starbucks parking lot. I got a coffee and one of my patients came up to me and she had such a big smile on her face and she told me that she got the sun today because we were lucky today down here on the Gulf South. It was 81 degrees and beautiful and sunny. And she's like, Doc, I can't tell you how much better I feel now than seven months ago. And she, she never had surgery. And to me, it was kind of ironic that I was getting ready to talk to you and this happened. And now we're talking about it. It's kind of like because it's in my life. Yeah. Um, it's really, really important. And I have to say that to me, it's actually made me reconnect with really why I wanted to be a doctor because who I was 10 or 12 years ago isn't really why I went into this profession. Yeah, doctor means teacher and surgeon means, how did you call it? What does well, surgeon mean? Surgeon, surgeon means to heal with your hands. To heal with your hands. That's really cool. I like that. And, and that's, that's, that's part of the reason why it's, it's I, I feel like there's a common bond between Rolfers, Reiki specialists, you know, acupuncturists, um, you know, chiropractors, you know, but to a group of colleagues surgeons, they think it's batshit crazy. Right. But the reason why is because they don't have that perspective, you know, that biophysics brings to you. And once you get that perspective, once you leave, you know, the solution-based biochemical format that we're all taught in medical school and that, you know, most of the people you've probably had on your podcast have, you don't understand the solid state stuff. And, and, I guess the real problem for those other practitioners, you know, like the chiropractors and rolfers, if you can't explain the biophysics, you know, people call it woo. Yeah. 
Right. And that's that's what makes me a little bit different. I like to have and sit down with those practitioners. I want let them to know that what they're doing isn't woo, it actually works, but you need to understand how it works and explain it to other people so that they know that there is there is a big craft to this, yeah. a huge craft. Yeah, that's I want to I want to get back to some of the other magnetism and all that stuff as well. But the, the one thing that's come to my mind is so I work with a lot of people post surgery. And that's I think in our culture, we kind of create this disconnect around how traumatic a surgery is or can be. And I think that it's it's amazing to hear from your perspective, just again, putting that care into it and kind of alleviating that because we do once the, once someone once someone's knocked out, you know, it's like we it's easy to think of them as just a car but there's it's still a living being you know and does that you know what i'm saying you know does that no i get i mean i i get exactly what you're saying i mean i can tell you right now if i put this this podcast in front of a bunch of my colleagues in neurosurgery they would 95% of them would tell you yeah that's kind of how it is you know you just put them and we do our thing they have no idea the effect of anesthesia. Well, they do, but not to what the degree that we're talking about. Yeah. The other the other problem is, is once we're done doing our surgery, I think that's when surgeons become more detached. And the thing that, that I think people like you and people on the other end of the spectrum need to realize is that there is a need for surgery who have completely destroyed their bodies in sure. different ways. But the smartest surgeons, as far as I'm concerned, are the ones that avoid surgery as much as possible. In other words, when I think of conservative management, I am trying absolutely my best. I, this is where I give patients the best biohacks that they could ever imagine to try to avoid me. And I actually tell them that. And they look at me. I mean, the look on their face when I say it, they're like, Doc, let me get this straight. You make money when you operate us and you're trying to keep us out of it. And I'm like, yes. I said, there's always going to be a need for my services. But if I can keep you away from me, that's far better. Because remember, you came into this world with no scars, no tattoos, no clothes, nothing on your body. And you need to go out the same way. And what determines whether you do that is are you plugged into nature or not? My job is to make sure you understand how incredibly important that concept is. And if I need to reteach you all the things that you currently believe and why these are blocking you from reconnecting with nature, that's what we're going to do before I put a tattoo on your back yeah. or your neck or open your coconut up. Right. Is it, is it still surprising when you, when you, you know, unveil the brain? Like, can you kind of paint a picture of what that is? Cause nobody gets that. Like it's almost like an imaginary thing, brain surgery. <laughs> well, it's, it's actually, uh, this is probably something I don't think I've ever talked about publicly, but I personally find brain surgery very simple to do. The only brain surgery that I think is quite difficult to do is cerebrovascular surgery. And Here's the irony. Most people with cerebrovascular disease are the ones that are most disconnected from nature. Huh, uh, wow. The tougher surgeries that neurosurgeons do to do well is spine surgery. Why? Because most spine surgery is unnecessary. So the number one thing is you have to get to that place as a spine surgeon, knowing who to operate on and who to avoid. And I think 
even the non-biophysic neurosurgeons that are out there, they get that ability when you're about 15 or 20 years in. I completely was changed overnight. When I was 40 years old, I went from being conventional wisdom to realizing that most of the things that I learned residency that I was doing that is standard of care that's evidence-based was a problem from a biophysics standpoint and literally overnight my entire practice changed and that that was probably the stark reality of all the people around me when they said what happened and it turned out that the change in me is what led to the change that I brought to my patients because when I got hurt initially, uh, and how I got hurt, and how I solved the problem, it had nothing to do with surgery. It had to do with the things that we're talking about right now. And I wound up having surgery because I listened to some of my colleagues that I probably shouldn't have listened to. But I wasn't. Uh, how shall I? Cons- how shall I say this? I wasn't. I wasn't as hardcore as I am now. And if I could transport myself back to that time 10 or 12 years ago, I probably would have never had surgery on my knee based on what I know now. Yeah. But at the same time, would I go back and really change it? No, because I have to tell you, from that failure, I became a much better person and a much better doctor. Yeah. And I'm not willing to trade that mistake. And I don't, I don't shy away from mistakes anymore. Uh, to me, mistakes are something to be embraced because – there's a lesson there if our mind's open and we're ready to accept it. Yeah. I, in relation to the neurosurgery, there's um, another th- another thing, term that gets passed around that I think is, again, kind of like people find to be a bit dubious is, is the, the calcification of the, the pineal gland. Is that something that you actually can, can witness with that? Yeah, yeah, we see it all the time. Uh, I mean, what is that? One, one of the crazy things that... Uh, that neurosurgeons have known, both neurologists have known, in fact, most doctors, since we invented CT scan, you know, before we had CT, we got CT in around 71, 72, 73. Um, prior to that, we used to inject air into people's heads. It's called a pneumoencephalogram, which was psychotic. Jesus. But, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty crazy, and it would make you pretty sick. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't train those times, so I didn't have to do that. When I was in residency, I did do a couple of them, and I have to tell you, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing neurosurgery when that was our dominant test. But anyway, one of the things that you would see in a pneumoencephalogram is you'd use the calcified pineal gland as a marker uh, for the things that we would do in neurosurgery. And I remember, I remember saying as a first-year resident to one of world-famous neurosurgeons who trained me, I said, Dr. Klein, tell me why is this happening? Jack, we don't know why it happens. It's just a marker use it and that's it. And that was kind of like, you know, what we heard. And then every time we see, um, CT scans, pineal calcifications, it's considered like, if you read some of my neurosurgery textbooks to this day, it says that having a calcified pineal gland is actually normal in humans. It's considered a normal variant. Mm -hmm. So when I started to go back and look at the literature of the, the old neurosurgery literature, when you know, we're talking back into early uh, 20th century. It wasn't normal to have a calcified pineal gland. And it was actually much more rare. Then I started to find out the linkages to it. And what people don't realize 
is that blue light, uh, we basically began with the whole blue light story in 1880 when Edison and Tesla started the electric power wars right. and we got the incandescent bulbs because you look at the, the spectrum of an incandescent bulb or a modern fluorescent or an LED compared to the solar spectrum, you'll see a radical difference. And the main difference that you see is it doesn't have as much purple or red light in the bulbs. Hmm. And what the blue light, and it does have excessive amounts of blue light compared to the sun. So effectively what blue light does, it out actually calcifies your pineal gland because uh, blue light being one of the versions of non-native EMF actually releases calcium. It causes calcium efflux in cells. And as calcium homeostasis is screwed up in a cell, eventually what happens is a gland can calcify. It's the same reason why we see it you know, in some muscle tendons and, and athletes and things like that. And um, the interesting thing is people started to ask me about five or six years ago, can we reverse the process? And I will tell you, back then I thought the answer was no. Now I believe the answer is yes because this is a biohack I actually did on myself. I used to have a partially calcified pineal gland. And the last time I did an MRI on myself, I noted that the calcification – was just about gone. Hmm. And, and it's kind of uh, an interesting issue. I I would love to go deeper with this biohack. The problem is, is what I told you before when I talked to Ben about MRIs. When I first started the biohack, I didn't think doing MRIs was really a problem. Uh, but because of this biohack, that's when I started to realize that doing MRIs every day or every week to see the effect of how I was reversing it was a problem and that's why I stopped hmm. um, so that's that's why I said biohacks can be good and bad they can teach you things but they can also open up a can of worms where you start to realize that hey just the way you're doing the biohack can hurt you but you know getting back to the original point for you is I think modern humans and modern neurosurgeons believe that a pineal gland is calcified as a normal variant because for the last 130 years, humans have lived under artificial, spectral, deficient light for the most part. And people don't realize that. Yeah. Um, and that effect is getting greater and greater and greater every decade we get. We blame it all on other things. You know, like the paleo guys blame it on omega-6s and, and bad food. As we talked about earlier, I look at food as light. It's really a light story. So what is bad food? It recapitulates fake light. It's mm. no different. Yeah. And when you have that perspective, then you begin to understand, hey, maybe maybe I need to think about this whole paradigm a little bit differently. Yeah. It's it's idiocracy essentially. It's like the whereas whereas it's the normalization of dysfunction. You see the same thing in old textbooks with the spine, where right. the spine used to be in like the 1910, 1915, you'd see like this nice lumbar curve, and it was a little bit lesser amplitude curves throughout the cervical and, and uh, kyphotic spine or thoracic spine. And now if you look at textbooks, they're starting to get bigger because that's just normal because we're staring at our cell phones and our bodies are adapting to that. Now when you look at normal, it's not optimal necessarily and then the normal people end up judging people that are kind of starting to step outside of that dysfunctional box right. well, you know what i tell people to do uh I, in fact when i went to this new york state uh dental society meeting i told them to do two things i said i want you to go get 
Western A. Price's book, you know, because he was a dentist and their dentist. Mm-hmm. I said, open it up and look at the guys in there that were 75 and 80 years old. I said, tell me any of your patients that look like that. And then for the doctors that were in the audience, because there were several MDs there, I said, Albert Schweitzer won a Nobel Prize. You know, he did the same thing Price did on the medical side. I said, go, go read some of his old papers and read what he said. And then I want you to all go back to your offices and take a good look at your patients for a whole week and tell me, is the story that you got from both of those clinicians 100 years ago what we're seeing now? And then tell me what's changed. And the key thing that's changed is the environment. Yeah, It's not even a question. The problem is people want to blame food. Really, food didn't change in this country until 1947 when we invented supermarkets. And the problem is you look at Neolithic disease generation, it really began robustly in the in really in the 1800s and that's when the industrial revolution began that's when we started to go from an outdoor existence to an indoor existence hmm. yeah yeah the uh something that i'll i'll do sometimes when i'm when i'm being good is is i'll make like a, you heard of sole where it's like it's salt water i'll take like spring water and put salt in it you leave it in the sun and then you you can pour a little bit of that into whatever water concoction you have have you done that before or heard of that yeah, I, I, I wouldn't put salt in it. And the reason really? why is, yeah, if you know anything about uh, Gerald Pollack, uh, his work. Yeah, the fourth Pollack's phase of water. On water. Right, the fourth phase of water. Anytime you put salt in water, it decrease, decreases the exclusion zone. So the smarter move with water is actually to use citrus fruits. Okay. Uh, lemon and lime, uh, and then put it in the sun. Then you build the huge exclusion zone because the things that are in – the citrus fruits happen to be hydrophilic, and one of the things that Pollock's you know, experiments have shown us is that anything that's hydrophilic in water expands the exclusion zone. Things you know, like um, a lower pH or um, salt, especially, is one of the things that de- decreases the exclusion zone. Hmm. So I'm not a big fan of uh, doing that. In fact, I, I, I've never actually told anybody this i'm also not really a big fan of drinking water with your food because oh, actually uh it decreases it changes the ph within your gastrointestinal tract right. you know especially if you're drinking alkalized water and that actually can have huge effects uh, on the assimilation of electrons from food so i think uh when it comes to water there's a time and place for it. It's extremely important. It's one of the things I call the three-legged stool. But I think most of our modern beliefs and most of the stuff that we hear, you know, especially from the health and wellness group these days, really isn't well thought out from a biophysics standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I, I, I've kind of attached to is looking at, um, you, if you look at like the vibration of food, you know, you, you want to put high frequency, high vibration food in your body. Cause if you put something and you please correct me on this, cause I'm kind of, you know, talking woo, but you want to put something that is at this, at least the same vibration or higher vibration than you to raise your vitality. Is that well, kind let's, of something? Let's cut, let's cut through, let's cut through and dissect that a little bit. Yeah, please. Because that, that idea, that mindset, unfortunately is part of the reason why I cannot stand <laughs> most of the people in the paleo community and the ancestral health community, because that's kind of what they believe. And I, that's not true. All right. It's not true I at all. I, I, I thought you disagree. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to explain to you why this is total bullshit. Yeah. The key thing with food 
is remember we talked about before that it's linked to photosynthesis. So that means your location on the planet is set by your mitochondrial haplotype that you inherit from your mom. Now remember, since we left Africa, that's, that's all gone to hell. But that's actually the reason why humans have different haplotypes. So the first key thing that you need to realize is you can go to 23andMe these days and find out what your haplotype is. Then I tell people to look at their latitude, altitude, and population density, where they live, and look at the SNPs that they have, the single nucleotide polymorphisms. Then that tells you you're supposed to eat foods that grow in that local environment that you're at. So, for example, you know that bananas normally are what we consider a health food. But if you lived at the 59th parallel, okay, and it's, for argument's sake, it's Thanksgiving. Are there any bananas growing at the 59th parallel right now? Don't think the so. The answer no. is no. The answer is absolutely no. But you know that our modern human environment, if you go to northern Scandinavia, you can find a damn banana in the supermarket there. Well, just because you can find it, because see when you eat it and you have a day that's only six and a half six and a half hours of light when you're completely ketotic eating one meal and eat that banana the response that happens in your mitochondria is that you develop more protons and less electrons what do we call that in my world that's called inflammation that's called uh, an altered ph that's called chaos inside a cell that leads to a circadian mismatch and and that's the real problem with food if you want to get food and diet right Unlike most of uh, the other people that I've probably talked to, I believe that humans are optimized to eat all types of food. The key metric on a diet absolutely ties to the light cycle hmm. and the seasonal cycle. So, for example, if you live in Uganda and you have dark skin and uh, it's 12 hours sunlight and 12 hours of daylight, you can eat carbohydrates 24-7 and every single day of the year. Why? Because your light cycle allows it. Plus, you don't wear any sunglasses or contact lenses. And for the most part, you're not wearing shoes and you're running around without any clothes. That is absolutely A-OK. -okay. But if you are a Ugandan that lives in Detroit, Michigan at the same time, and you do the same thing, but you have clothes on and rubber sole shoes and you go to work every day in downtown in front of a computer screen and you think – that you can get away eating carbs 24-7, you got another thing coming. In fact, you're going to get really sick. And and that's one of the, the things that we see in our African-American community in down here in the South, in the stroke belt. The reason why we have a stroke belt down here doesn't have – everybody says, well, wait a minute. You know, New Orleans and Mississippi, it's got strong light cycles at the 28th parallel. Why do those people have that problem? I said, come down here. And tell me if you see any of these people walking around naked like they're supposed to, right. where, grounded to the earth and exposing themselves. In the summertime, everybody's in air conditioning here. They're inside under blue light. They're doing everything opposite. And this is the reason why we're seeing medical epidemiology show this. You know, it's not just where your latitude is. It's what you do in that latitude. Mm. Okay, And that's the key. And the thing is, people don't realize that our diet is really optimized to that sensor in your mitochondria. That's part of the reason why 
when I did my 23andMe test a while back and found out that I was a K-haplotype, I knew right away that I was optimized to a higher latitude. So that meant that I had to pay more strict attention to circadian biology than if, say, I had an African haplotype, you know, where I lived in Kenya or Uganda and can get away uh, with quite a bit more if I lived in a high quantum yield environment. That's not the kind of discussions that you hear from food gurus, you know, because they don't understand photosynthesis. They don't understand how photosynthesis actually forms the entire food web. And I mean in detail. You know, when I, I, I sat down with a paleo biochemist not that long ago, probably about eight months ago, and I just said to him, I said, tell me how much you know about excitons. And he looked at me like I was nuts. And I said to him, I said, if you don't know anything about excitons, you don't know anything about food. And he looked at me, he goes, how can you say that? <laughs> and I said, and I explained to him exactly how I said it. I said, what you believe is out of, you know, Leninger's biochemistry because you learned it and I learned it in med school. And we were taught that's gospel. That's not true. Uh, and we have tremendous amounts of data. Like one of the things you said to me before about raising your vibration, you're partially right. One of the, one of the key things that we found from the world expert in my his name is Doug Wallace. He's a pediatric uh, uh, physician who deals with mitochondrial diseases at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He's the guy that that all mitochondrial DNA is inherited from the maternal side. And he's been an expert for this in 40 years. And he's probably going to win a Nobel Prize relatively soon. But one of the key findings that he's found in his research in the last three or four years is that in order to fat burn, your inner mitochondrial membrane has to oscillate at 100 hertz. I want to I make sure you get this right, Aaron. It has nothing to do with the ketogenic diet or a carbohydrate-based diet. If you don't oscillate at 100 hertz, you cannot undergo beta oxidation. Hmm. Now, think about how interesting that is. And what happens when you can't undergo beta oxidation? What's the only other pathway in the body that you default to? The TCA cycle. That's where you deal with glucose. So let's fast forward to all the people that are listening to this right now. You want to know why diabetics' blood glucose goes up? Because they cannot oscillate at 100 hertz. Why? Because the respiratory proteins on our inner mitochondrial membrane are too stretched out. That's where we have to go, my friend. We have to go to that rabbit hole that nobody wants to go to. Yeah. I, um, I've, I've, I've uh, so greatly appreciate your work, man. I really enjoy just changing my perception on uh, just our environment and my own health and, and how I occupy myself in it. How do, how do people find your work and learn more about, about you? Where, where are you located at for people? Yeah, you, you can uh, find me at jackcruise.com. It's K-R-U-S-E. That's uh, my blog. Uh, the blog is very detailed, so I don't want you to be scared away. If you want to cut through the first two or three years of my blog, I would tell you you can buy my book on Amazon or Barnes & Nobles called the Epi Paleo RX. Uh, it gives you a very simplified uh, way of cutting through it. My Newer stuff over the last three or four years, all is the biophysics of organisms. Most of that is going to be found on the blog, but I also have a form on my website where, I mean, it's loaded with data. 
Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body as well. Be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist, a massage therapist, all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.